sure this is on. Yes, sir. It's on? Okay, great. You can go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. Actually, go to 2 Samuel 11. Go to 2 Samuel 11. It's a little, we're actually going to begin there. We're going to end up later in Psalm 51. There is a uh, soldier's wife who is sitting in my office on my couch trying to pick up the pieces of the terrible mess she has made. She is a believer. She's a churchgoer. She is a person that you or I would maybe confide in as a friend at church or uh, someone you might share a meal with after Sunday school, that sort of thing. And she is about to be prosecuted for embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars at her job. Her husband has filed for divorce. And her life is in shambles. And I said to her, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And she said, the words that we've all thought, because I didn't think I'd get caught. Because I didn't think that I would get caught. Sin had ruined her life. And that's what sin does, doesn't it? It, it tends to ruin everything that is good in our lives that God has given us in his infinite love. And I do not necessarily mean material things. All the wonderful things that God shares with us of himself, sin will ruin that. And many of us have experienced sin in this way. We think, that, we think the same thing. No one's going to know. No one's going to catch me. And we won't get caught. And that maybe it's not that big of a deal. And then the bomb goes off. And the shrapnel of sin destroys everything in our lives and we are ruined. But this experience that maybe you have had is, is not really unique to any of us, is it? Sin is universal. We've all had those thoughts. No one will catch me. Nobody will know. It's a part of the human experience. But for us as believers, we understand that sin is severe and that it is so severe, even the tiniest offense, just one tiny offense, makes us lawbreakers, makes us sinners. Therefore, we are guilty before God and deserving of eternal hell just for one sin. And so the effects of sin not only can have an eternal impact on us if we do not repent and believe and so forth, but they can have a real impact in our lives right now. King David 
understood this very well. In fact, in our text today, our text today in Psalm 51 is the result of a lot of pain and suffering in David's life because of his sin that he thought, no one will catch me. No one will know. And if we are not careful, if we do not learn from David's mistakes, many of us will suffer some of the same consequences and we will suffer some of the same hardships that David experienced if we do not repent. If we do not come to God and ask for his forgiveness and ask for his renewal, many of us may experience hardships and pain and suffering that none of us ever want to be a part of. And so with this in mind, we, we would ask the question, is there hope for us when we've sinned? Is there hope for us when we've sinned? And not only is there hope for us when we've sinned, but is there hope for us when we don't really repent? Well, I think the, the text is going to answer that question for us today in Psalm 51. But before we dive into Psalm 51, we kind of need to accomplish a few things uh, to make the text come alive for us. First, we need to kind of understand what the Psalms are as a whole. The Psalms, as we know, it was written over about a 500 or so year span. The first Psalms really showed up about 1000 B.C., with the last ones being written after the exile, when they came out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem around 538 B.C. And as you know, the book of Psalms is organized into five books that would mimic the Genesis, Exodus, the Torah in the Old Testament. Primarily, the Psalms were used as a songbook for the Jewish people, and it was kind of like their hymnal, if that makes sense. That's what the Psalms were. A good example of how they would have been used would be the Psalms of Ascent. That's Psalms 120 through 134. They were sung as the Jewish people made their way to Jerusalem for annual festivals. It's most likely that Jesus sang the Psalms that we read on a regular basis, and as they made their way in and around Jerusalem to worship at the temple. If you will recall, in the Lord's Supper, after the Lord's Supper, the Gospel of Matthew tells us, and when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a psalm, they went to the Mount of Olives. So the psalms were vital in the life of the Jewish people. Each psalm reflects Israel's theology. What do they believe about God? We find that in the Psalms, in this very large prayer book that focuses on who God is and what his intervention has looked like in the life of Israel. And so our focus today, Psalm 51, it is a psalm of King David who was king from 1010 to about 970 B.C. And again, before we jump into that, we need to get a good understanding of what causes David to write this psalm of confession. So look with me at 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. Are you there? Yes. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 through 5. Yes, then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. 
Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. Verse 5. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. David has a problem. Big, big problem. If there were buzzers back then, they would be going off in David's head. If there were sirens, this would be sirens, alarms. David has a severe problem. He's gotten another man's wife pregnant. So he does what most of us would do. What does he do? How can I cover this up? How can I keep anyone from knowing what's going on? And to summarize the rest of the story, many of you know, he orders the woman's wife, I mean the woman's husband home. He says, Uriah, come home. Uriah comes home and he tells him, he says, go home. And Uriah won't go. He sleeps outside the king's doors. So he says, maybe if I get Uriah drunk, he'll go home and be with his wife. And then when this baby comes, everyone will believe that it's Uriah's and not mine. Man, I'm making good plans now. Uriah drinks, but he still won't go home. He won't go home because his men are out in the battle. And if his men can't be home with their families, he surely will not go home with his family. And so finally, David just decides, well, I'll just have him killed. I'll just have him murdered. And so David calls Uriah and says to Uriah, I want you to go to the front line. And Uriah does. And he dies. And David quickly makes Bathsheba his wife. And at this point, I would say that it's probably safe to assume David thinks what? Whew. I'm going to get away with this. I'm going to get away with it. But God intervenes. <laughs> Because just like you and I, David belongs to God. He is the actual physical property of God. And it's God's responsibility to discipline his own. And so God gets involved. And I'm going to tell you what, it ain't pretty. God sends Nathan the prophet to confront David about what he's done. David realizes he sinned in some way, acknowledges his guilt, and he repents. He says, I've sinned. Okay. You ever think it's all better, right, when we repent? That always makes everything better. Not even, not even a little bit did it get better. It only got worse from there. David has greatly offended God, and he in no way is going to be able to leave this sin behind. And so here's what the Lord says to David. This is what he says, I'm going to do about it, David. Here's how I'm going to help you, David. David, you've sinned. 
my responsibility to bring you to repentance. So I'm going to do something wonderful in your life to help you repent. 2 Samuel, you don't have to turn there. You can just listen. 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 15. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, here's what I'm going to do. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Notice David did it at night in secret. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and under the sun. And then David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. But because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you will die. David, I have given you everything. David, I would have given you more if that had not been enough. Why have you despised my goodness in your life? I have been abundantly good to you for all the people to see. And now this is how you've repaid my faithfulness. Therefore, there will be consequences for your sin. Your child will die. Your household will be in turmoil. And I will make sure that everyone knows why this is taking place. You will be publicly humiliated. God's pretty serious about sin, is he not? And so we don't know what happened immediately after all this. What we do know is that David's life was hell for a long time. That's what we do know. And sin was eating away this, this event, this, uh, this encounter that he has with both Bathsheba and Uriah and then Nathan and God. All of this is eating him alive. And I think it's fair to say that David probably felt very far from God. And so this is where we find Psalm 51 come into play. Psalm 51, let's turn there. Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever 
before me. It will not leave me alone. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain with me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver from me blood guiltlessness, O God the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing to your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. So God brings David to some sort of breaking point in his life. He pushes David all the way into the corner, and the only thing David has left to do is to cry out to God, and that's where we find Psalm 51. And David's prayer, if you, if you look at it, can really we can draw three things out of it from what he really asks of God. And the first thing he asks God simply is, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. In the first six verses, he pleads with God for forgiveness. He says, have mercy on me. Wipe away what I have done. Wash away my wrongdoing. I am aware that I have sinned against you and you alone. David is asking God, God, I know that my sin is a condition and a fault of my heart from conception. Before I came into the world, I was a sinner. And my actions since then have been thus. God, I need your forgiveness. The forgiveness that you alone provide. And so David asked God, God, Please, please forgive me. The second thing he asks him is in verses 7 through 11. He says, God, cleanse me. God, cleanse me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be pure. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven. The language that David is using here is the language uh, is reflective of, all, of the offerings that the priests made before God in the temple for forgiveness and cleansing of sin. God, I'm dirty on the inside and the outside. 
My sin makes this dirty. God, wash me and renew me in a way that only you can. You see, David knew he could offer all the bulls in the world, and that wouldn't make him clean. It's God alone that made him clean because it's it's God's love that makes us clean. And so David needed God to intervene, not only to forgive him, but to put a new clean heart within him. So he says, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. And finally, in verses 12 through 19, he says, God, make me new. Make me new to the extent that the old me is not recognizable. Not put me back together. Keep that in mind. Make me new. Make me new. I don't want to be me anymore. Amen. Anybody ever had that thought? Oh, Lord, I know I have. Because me is sinful. Me is rebellious. Me says I won't get caught. Let me again experience the joy of your deliverance, verse 12. And listen to what he says. I I believe everybody in here has probably said this. Sustain me by giving me the desire to obey. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's been a time in your life where you just said, God, please just make me obey. Force it on me. Because obedience to you is better than sin. God, you've renewed me before. And I need you to renew me again. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be this guy that hates myself for what I've done. I don't want to be this guy that has no joy. I don't want to be this guy that is the laughing stock of the community because they all know what I've done. I don't want to be that guy anymore, God. I need you to make me new. So he asked God to do a work in him that only God can do. Forgiveness is the work of God, amen? And because he loves us, even when we get in these nasty, sinful situations, he will bring us to repentance in love. And so from beginning to end, our salvation and our sanctification is a work of God. And here we see a perfect example of what God, the links that God is willing to go to, to bring us to repentance.
so God intervenes. And we have Psalm 51. We don't know if this is before. David really begins to repent. We don't know if it's after. But what we know is David is asking for God to do something he cannot do for himself. So what could we learn from David's life so that we don't make some of the same mistakes David made? If David were here with us in body, what might he say to us? What, what might he say? You know? I think one of the things that he would say, if you go all the way back to the beginning of all this, I think one of the things he would say is, be in the place and with the people God has called you to be with. If you remember all the way back, what does it say David was doing? He was staying home, and that's not where he should have been. He should have been in the battle with the rest of them, right? But David's not in the place that God's called him to be, and he's not with the people that God's called him to be with. And so when he's not in that place and he's not with those people, David goes and gets in trouble. So I think if he were here, he would say, be with the people and in the places that God has called you to be. Do not be with the people that will tempt you to sin. Do not be in the places that will that will tempt you to sin. Many of us have been in the places and with the people and have sinned. We have, we know what God wants us to do. Men, we know we shouldn't be sitting there at lunch with that woman. We know that. But maybe we won't get caught. Ladies, we know maybe we shouldn't be gossiping. Oh, bless. <laughs> and, we, and see, that's the thing, right? We make light of sin. When gossip will send us to hell. And I'm not picking on the ladies, I'm just using general things. So if David were here, I think he would say, listen, friend, listen, brother, listen, sister. Don't go down the road I went down. You don't want that pain. Remember all that God has done for you and given you already. Recognize how good he already is to you and anticipate that you will receive more of that goodness if you remain obedient. So, so don't be in the wrong place and with the wrong people. The second thing I think that David might say, confess your sins and repent regularly. Can you imagine how many times David asked God to forgive him? I mean, can you imagine? Like, just if you could, 
if you had one of them little clickers, you know, you just walk around, click, 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 count all them. We got a clicker in here. I'm sure we do somewhere. Imagine how many times David asked God to forgive him. If there's one thing I've learned in my short amount of time on this earth is repentance is a process. It's a process. Because, like I'm sure many of you experience, you say that you repent, and you repent. And in that moment, you do repent. And then there's new moments coming. And what happens in those new moments? You go right back to it. Whatever it is. And you ask yourself, why am I still doing this? I just repented of this. Repentance is a process. Repentance is a process. And so you should be confessing your sins and repenting regularly. Confession, it often takes time. Sometimes we ask God to forgive us, but not really. I mean, when Nathan came to David, what did David say? Yep, I did it. I offended God. I'm sinful. But then he experiences pain and pain and pain and pain. And all that time, I'm sure that David is repenting and repenting and repenting and repenting. And that's part of the work, isn't it? That's part of the relationship. It's like when you wrong your spouse. I have uh, soldiers come to me and they'll say, you know, I did this thing wrong with my spouse, I lied, whatever. And uh, I told her I was sorry. I told her I was sorry. I asked her to forgive me. And, uh, but she keeps bringing it up. She keeps bringing it up. Why does she keep bringing it up? Well, let me tell you what you did, son. You took a knife and you put it right in her gut. That's what you did. And just because you pull that knife out, and then just because you sew it all up, Three days later, if you go poking, what's going to happen? It's going to hurt. Why? Because it takes time for healing to occur. And the healing in our lives, <laughs> when we repent, it's not God that's being healed. It's us. And so we... We repent over and over and over again because through that, God does his healing work. And so here's my question for you this morning. Number one, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? If so, I want to encourage you to confess that before the Lord. I want to encourage you to enter into a real season, yes, season of repentance. Where we sit in ashes and sackcloth. That type of season. Where we go to God over and over and confess this sin to God and say to God, have mercy. Have mercy on me. Second thing. Second question is, are you spending time with the wrong 
people. Are you spending time with the wrong people in the wrong places? We've seen what happened in David's life. And from experience, we know what will happen in our lives. If we spend time with the wrong people and are in the wrong places. And so my encouragement to you, if you are, is stop. Stop. You don't need to be around that person or those people. They will bring you to ruin. So stop. Repent of that behavior and get back with who? With who? With these people. The right people. The people of God. And so my encouragement today to all of us and my prayer for you is that you don't end up on the couch trying to pick up the pieces. I don't, I don't want that for anybody. I, I know you probably don't want that for anybody either, but it starts with you individually. It starts with you. You do not want to be sitting on the couch trying to pick up the pieces of a ruined life because you were with the wrong people doing the wrong thing and have not repented before an almighty and holy God. And so the question that we asked in the beginning was, is there hope when we're not willing to repent? For God's children, yes, absolutely there is. And we should say amen to that. Amen. Even when you're unwilling, God will bring you to repentance. It may be painful. It may be humiliating. But because God loves you, he will bring you to repentance. So, church, let's not get to that point. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, like David, we are sinners. And we need you to forgive us. We need you to cleanse us. We need you to renew us. We cannot do it on our own. We know that you alone have both the power to forgive and to condemn. And so, God, in the same way that David asked for your mercy, God, we do the same today. We ask for you to be merciful in our lives and to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us new through your Son. God, help us to understand that you have been abundantly good to us and will continue to do so, God, as we remain obedient. Help us to turn from sin. Help us to run to you and sustain us by making us obedient through your Son, our Savior. We pray all this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.